Welcome. This is the Green Majority Radio Show. We have a very, very different tone this week. Neither Stefan nor I have the heart to dig into politics, so instead we have um, an attempt not to ignore, but to process everything that has happened in this last week. Uh, we hope that you not only enjoy this week's show as usual, but more importantly, get some value out of it. Um, I think you will. Stay tuned. Welcome. You are listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. And you may already be able to tell, this is your host, Aaron Kaster, of course, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, there's, a, there's a distinct lack of fire in my voice. Uh, there's a reason for that. Usually when I have something I really want to talk about, I sort of like, I sort of work myself up throughout the show, don't I, mm. Stefan? Oh, yeah. You know, and it gets louder. It's like a snowball going down a hill. Yeah, it gets, gets bigger and bigger. Or like the boulder from the Indi- uh, Indiana Jones. Right. Something like that. But today that's not there. And there's a reason for that. Which is that I'm not ready to do that. Yeah, fair. Um, with a completely straight face and no hint of sarcasm, I'm feeling uh, a deep sense of grief, and I think uh, a lot of people are. So aside from our special guest, which Stefan will introduce in just a moment, we are taking a break from politics this week. So it may come up in some format, but there will be no hand-wringing. There will be mo- no yelling and moaning. There is just going to be peace today. Yes. At least for this hour, you have uh, my gift to you, the listener. This week is uh, is a week off, yeah. a break. There you go. We're going to talk about some other stuff coming up in the middle of the show. One of our occasional contributors, uh, who uh, it's like one of those things. Like we we only hear from her, I think, once every few months, and she sends us really great stuff. So yeah. I think it's one of those things. Uh, Christina Henka, who's actually a longtime contributor, but you don't hear her name very often. She only sends us a few pieces a year, but they're very good. This time, she caught up with Canadian poet Murray Reese. Uh, who is an award-winning Canadian poet. We'll be listening to that brief uh, interview, somewhat uh, brief interview, in the middle of the program. Uh, And at the end of the program, we're still going to work it out. I have some non-political news, which actually took me a little while to find, Stefan, (laughs) uh, because even Scientific American, which was my go-to, and uh, Solar PV World and those websites (laughs) where I was like, well, we'll talk about some science or some technology covered with politics. Mm. So I found a few, though. It took me a while. But before we get to any of that, there is a there is going to be a show today, of course, and there's going to be a good show today, of course. We're just going to take a little bit of a different tact. And for that, uh, with our sort of last minute, what do we do aside from talk about politics for the hour? Um, Stefan, you had a great idea, and I'm just going to let you introduce it. Take it away. Thank you. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, this is also going to go down as probably the one show Darren and I speak at a normal pace. So for all of you listeners who consistently request us to slow down, you've received this one show. Um, so, uh, it's funny on the walk here, uh, you know, we, we broadcast live out of Hart house and I got, I got quite close and then I realized, and then there's a, you know, there was campus security and then, and I was like, well, why is that blocked off? And I was like, oh wait, right. Today's remembrance day. And we start at 11. You might've noticed actually the beginning of the show started with a moment of silence. And a part of that feels almost like the, 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 the sense of, of mourning, uh, I think works, and 
uh, you know, the, part of the idea of, of Romance is, is is never again. And I think the sort of foreboding nature of all of the uh, in the wake of the Trump victory is is this fear that 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 we're not really going to live up to that. Um, and, but and so on this day that we're called to remember, many of us are really actually just trying to forget, uh, trying to forget the world that we woke up to on Wednesday morning. Uh, it's no exaggeration uh, to say that Donald Trump's election has shaken me to my core. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, walking around Toronto in, on, on Wednesday was sort of like walking around a place after, after an earthquake had hit. Everyone was sort of trying, everyone was sort of was looking at each other. Uh, and it, it, you, there was a sense of odd community amongst the broken souls that walked around. Um, but in a time like this, our first thought must be for the people uh, who do not who did not simply wake up with a general fear for the core of what a general fear for the world, as I did, uh, but those whose this, whose this decision uh, or election directly impacts you know racialized communities, First Nations groups, women, uh, the LGBT movement across the United States. You know, over the next four years, they are going to be they're going to need our support more than ever. Uh, and the need for the work that that to to make the world a better place to to try to stop climate change uh, for all of the to protect the, the 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 most vulnerable will only become more important over the next four years. And yet, over the past two days, I haven't really been able to do much of anything. Uh, I've been almost paralyzed by this by this blow to all the progress. Inadequate as it was, it was still progress. Uh, that we've made. And, and so today, instead of discussing the implications or waxing on about what happened, uh, we're going to address the feeling that's seemingly crept over the world in the last few days. Because hopefully, by facing these feelings head on, we'll be able to get past them uh, and get back to the difficult work of fighting to make this world a better place. Um, and so to that end, uh, we are welcoming uh, Barbara Orochina. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, emotional wellness coach, speaker, and creator of Be With Cards for Self Care. And you have a line that's actually stuck with me for the severance you said it, which was that all mm-hmm. you're trying to make all feelings okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I, my opening question is tell me what to do. <laughs> like, how, how do I take an aching anxiety and fear and sadness into something useful? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, just welcome and thank you for joining us. Thanks. I'm, <laughs> I'm so glad to be here. And so, uh, yeah, honored by the invitation. Um, so as you mentioned, I have a deck of cards that I created that are all about taking care of ourselves. And, you know, as I was trying to think of how to, um, yeah, how to come and arrive at today's show and today's conversation, I went through the deck and uh, found a card that's newer. And it, it says, take a deep breath and fill your lungs deeply, let out a sigh. Repeat until you feel your shoulders soften. And um, I think the reason it sparked for me and, and called out to me is because I there is nothing to do. Uh, there is no way to move forward until we're able to just be present with what it is that we're feeling and actually allow the grief to pass through our bones, through our body, uh, through our tear ducts, <laughs> right, through our shoulders, uh, and really feel the impact of that grief because – that's what happens. The election is what happens when we don't allow ourselves to feel the impact of the fear and of the pain and of the scarcity that has been fed to us. Uh, but if we can get really honest about what it is that we're feeling and allow that to pass through our human experience, um, then we can 
remember the fragility of human life, which, you know, Remembrance Day, we're remembering mm-hmm. the fragility of human life. And uh, if we can remember that fragility, that's actually where empathy comes from. And that's how we move forward. But like before any of that stuff happens, first, we need to recognize our own pain and to and to say like, hey, you're here. Welcome. You are you are here. I respect you. I recognize you. Um, yeah. So the first thing is to sit with it. <laughs> I feel like I've been doing that for the last couple of days. Yeah. Um, so another thing you, in, in ways you, one of the, I believe actually that you have a talk right after this actually, mm-hmm. sort of focused around taking that sort of how how to take that sort of that pain uh, and and focus it on something actually useful because I think that's the thing that I'm. I'm I'm hoping to do mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, if there's if there's if there's an ounce uh, of hope in in, in in and of course it, it goes out with saying that we sit in an incredibly privileged position given that we mm-hmm. are you know not in the country that just did this uh, we are not the people that he has been targeting uh, I'm sure if like if I ran in Donald Trump right now he wouldn't know if I supported him or he didn't mm-hmm. uh, he, and might, he might assume that you did he probably would um, and I think as and I think so part of what i what i what i what i'm feeling is i'm trying to find a way to take this 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 and turn it into something that actually you know will protect people like mm-hmm. will help people mm-hmm. um i've been thinking a lot about the difficulty of empathy and the difficulty of mm-hmm. of, of of you know of of michelle obama's line of you go they, they go low you go high and in this scenario going high feels so difficult mm-hmm. um and so how do you so with the people you sort of that you work with that are you know trying to take sort of a, a pain that they have and actually tr- Turn that into constructive, you know, like not to say that, you know, feeling pain is important, but how do you turn that corner, maybe? Yeah. Uh, you know, if I can take it to like the simple neuroscience sure. of it, um, the truth is that, <clears throat> pardon me, um, when we are panicked and where we're hurting, uh, we tend to kind of go, go into fight or flight mode, right? And so that's when we kind of return to like our earliest parts of our brain that aren't really great for strategic thinking, <laughs> that aren't really great for coming up with creative solutions for difficult problems. Um, and so until we can kind of calm ourselves down and get us ourselves back into that like wine and dine mentality, get ourselves back into activating the mammalian caregiving system, which, you know, increases the presence of opiates in our body, until we can do that, there actually isn't really a way to you know to go low when they mm-hmm. to go high when mm-hmm. they go low um and so that's why like so much of my focus is around like okay first thing we need to do is to comfort ourselves uh the anchor question that i kind of use for when you're feeling in the deepest of the dumps is what is the gentlest thing i can do for myself right now so really it's around comforting yourself we're soothed by you know gentle vocal tones we're soothed by comforting touch we're soothed by warmth and all of that is because as mammals we need like a a figure to take care of us for the first however many months of our lives it is or years it is for humans um, and we evolve that way on purpose and so if we can give that kind of parenting to ourselves in the moments when we're feeling distraught then what we can do is we can slowly calm ourselves down we can change the hormonal flow in our bodies and then eventually what that does is activates the more evolved parts of our brain that allow us to come to creative solutions and strategic thinking and and allow us to get to that place where we start doing less but we start doing better 
but we're never going to get there if we're like first just repressing all the pain and like pretending like it's not there or stuffing it down because all it's going to do is like rise up and bite us in the ass so, so you're saying I'm not allowed to hide from social media like I have been the last <laughs> days. well no you are if that's the gentlest thing you can do for yourself like that's the thing like there is no right or wrong answer across the board that's going to work for everybody um, you know and it's it's interesting when you said you know we're not the people that Trump is targeting you know I'm uh, I'm a pretty straight presenting white woman, mm-hmm. but I'm an immigrant and I'm a gay woman uh, and a gay woman with lived experience of mental health concerns. Um, and so, you know, like the way that I woke up felt really, really real. And I'm like, not only am I an immigrant, but I'm a gr- an immigrant of parents who are Trump supporters, <laughs> like, which is the most absurd thing. Um, and yet, you know, to recognize that this that this felt so personal meant that, like, for me, the right answer was, um, you know, to cancel on plans that I had in the evening and stay home and make a pot of soup and do laundry. Laundry and cooking is not going to feel supportive to everybody, mm. but it feels really gentle and supportive to me. Um, so for me, it felt, you know, uh, not supportive to be watching the concession speech during my workday. So I avoided mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And I waited until I was home and I was doing cooking and laundry and other gentle things. And then I was like, okay, time for the concession speech and the big cry. And so what it's going to look like for you to be gentle with yourself might be to be off social media. Whereas for Darren, maybe it's like to be consuming all the social media and ranting to friends about it. So it's going to look different for each of us. And I think that's that like that's another piece where we learn to respect our humanity and that helps us grow into compassion and, and empathy for other people as well. Yeah, I think it's you, you point on, uh, on a, a piece that I want to pick up on, which is a sense of like the sense of realness that it felt. Mm-hmm. Um, in part because I think it's because I think it landed for everyone differently, um, and I've been trying to figure out what it was for me. Like what what part of 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 his victory was the reason that I felt this destroyed? Uh, like the closest, the only only other only other thing similar I felt what has been heartbreak. That is the mm-hmm. only thing that like kept me up at night in the same way that like let me wake up the next morning and realize this is happening. So can I ask, what about this broke your heart? I think it's so. I've been trying to figure that out. I, I think the closest I've come up with uh, is that it's. I, I identify myself uh, so much by the work that I do, mm. uh, and I identify myself so much with the with the, like that's what I do. I mm-hmm. yeah, like I work and I work and I work some more, mm-hmm. um, and 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 this was like the world being like you know everything you've worked strive for, uh, I may have ruined it all. Uh, you know, it's it's this it's 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 it broke a sense of of of, of self to some extent in that mm-hmm. in that you know what was once possible no longer necessarily feels possible and what was once felt po- difficult and yet maybe still possible now feels so far out of reach mm-hmm. and it's it's almost as if I've lost the future I thought I had mm-hmm. which maybe is 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 what all heartbreak is right mm-hmm. losing the future you thought you had um, and and so it's. And so that's why I came reminded of it. It's like you know, it's it's the same thing. It'd be like you know, if you it'd be like hiding all the photos of uh, of, of your of your former lover. It's like I'm trying to hide from all the futures that all the examples of a future that I thought I had mm-hmm. and I thought we could work towards. And this was an experience that was like, no, no, you don't yeah. get that. Uh, and, I, and and so it's been, I don't know. How, how do you move forward from heartbreak, both of you? I'd be curious to know. I. <laughs> I, I I literally just try to zone out for like six months. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I come back to the real world. Yeah. 
Although this is having this radio show is sort of like it's like if you had to talk about <laughs> your girlfriend every week. Well, Stefan, you you already have a different event for that every every month. Don't yes, you? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so just for oh. so, so we don't do that thing that people hate for right. context. Uh, uh, you have a I host a yeah I host a monthly uh, storytelling event where people come and tell the stories they can't share anywhere else. Yeah, uh, which you know I think may be this entire show. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, and for me too, I mean, I talked about this, um, you know, I, I've, I don't, I, I don't bring it up constantly on the show because not because it's even private, because I just think it's, it's off topic, right? But it's, it's on topic for this segment, which is, of course, I was off the show for two months because mm-hmm. I had cancer. Uh, I'm now fine. If anyone that didn't know, don't panic. I'm fine. I wouldn't be here if I wasn't. Um, but I had a fairly, you know, intense personal experience and the, two sort of comments for that one of them was just as far as a barometer um is i'm a thousand times more terrified right now than i was then Mm. Mm. yeah maybe that's not appropriate right but straight up right way more yeah (laughs) um and the other thing was can i can i ask a question where does the terror live in your body uh I, don't, I, I think everywhere because I couldn't specify. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not sure how to like, answer that question. Like right now, if you were to check in, be like, "Hey, Tara, there you are." Is it like in your heart or in your head? Well, uh, I know I'm asking like a, a, a like a big leap considering we're on radio. <laughs> well, no, it's it's difficult to answer because I basically live with constant clenching in my guts anyway from mm-hmm. the health concern. So <laughs> I sort of that's there, there's there's I don't have a uh, I don't have a good contrast to tell you yeah. where, but basically, yeah. But the that's whole, like the, the whole terror zone in the in the gut. Yeah, <laughs> and like if we were to ask like. So this is just some straight up on radio coaching. Like if we were to ask, because this is this is how we do this work. There, mm-hmm. there is no other way. If we were to ask your gut right now, like what, like what does it need to feel supported in the midst of this election news, in the midst of Trump's win? Um, well, it's just I can I'll I'll answer that actually with what I was going to say anyway. I'll tie that in, um, which was just that um, you know that like and Stefan was talking about you know like. It's sort of a from Stefan's point of view, or at least how you were talking about your work, Stefan, was about sort of this like culmination of work, right? It was sort of like if I can make a metaphor to like the Tower of Babel, right? You're building mm-hmm. and building and building and building. Right. And for me, it's like that too, but it's slightly different. And the reason I brought up the cancer thing was as well as that on the first show I did when I came back, I talked is the only other time I've really talked about this a little bit, but. For me, it's, it's, you know, some people are just like, well, we have a place we want to go, and that includes these things. It includes, you know, renewable energy. It includes, that's way too near for me. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's very short time horizon. I think on, the, like, the, you know, generational scale. That's just where my brain goes, right? So, and one of the things, if you listen to a lot of famous scientists and a lot of futurists, they'll talk about different types of societies. And there's one where you sort of, you know, your agriculture, then you develop technology. And, and of course, we're, they're just surmising. But there's like, you know, when so a certain t- there's like a class three civilization where they've like harnessed a star's power and can do interstellar travel and all this stuff. And so it's like there's a and there's a time horizon. Of course, I'm a big science fiction fan. Uh, so like a lot of Star Trek, that type of thing. And so I see like this this like timeline of like th- places we could be. And this seems like a really just sort of hazardous stepping stone in the middle. But I see this future sort of going out from the thing. So it's not like the great unknown future. It's, I know exactly where we need to go. I know exactly. And that future is awesome. (laughs) And I just desperately want to get there. And we're right now in, and I don't mean right now as in 2016. I mean, right now in the, you know, year 1500 to probably year 2500, we're in this really dangerous spot where we have 
not quite enough societal maturity to deal with the incredible ability to damage ourselves intentionally. So, Mm -hmm. you know, weapons of mass destruction, chemical weapons, nuclear, all this stuff, but also just like trash our, our life system. Um, and it's, it's not a matter of me getting there. It's like the, we're at the one spot where if we can just make it a little longer, (laughs) we'll be cool. And so it's not about, you know, there'll be this problem. There'll be the next problem. It's like, I I just don't want, I don't want to not get there. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so uh, what, we, what we did get to is our first music break. Uh, but before we go there, uh, I want uh, for a thank you so much, Barbara. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may have you get back on again if, as as this whole thing as uh, many weeks as necessary. Yeah, exactly. Uh, be happy but, to be back. Yeah, uh, but can you give uh, our listeners uh, some places they might go for some resources um, uh, to and before and anywhere they can find anything more information about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Um, as far as resources go, uh, there are uh, lots of community health centers. I feel like this is like the hidden gem of Canada uh, that most people don't know about. If you hit up a community health center, you could probably get some free counseling there. It's very likely different community health centers have focus on different groups. So for example, Access Alliance in Toronto, where we host, you guys host the show, um, you know, focuses on uh, refugees and uh, folks who have just arrived to Canada. Uh, Planned Parenthood focuses on young people. Um, but there are lots and lots and lots of spaces in Canada where you can get mental health support uh, affordably or for free. Uh, so Seek those out if you need them. Um, there's absolutely, there's actually just so much courage in seeking mm-hmm. out that help. And so I want people to know that. Uh, and then as far as finding me, you can uh, look me up. Uh, the easiest is probably at Be With Cards on Instagram or, or on Facebook. Um, you'll find me that way. Or uh, you can look me up online at www.bewith.org. And that'll take you back to my personal page as well, which my last name's hard to spell. So, you know, I'm not going to try and even tell you how to do that. <laughs> Thank you and, so you, and you're going to stick around as well. You said you're going to. Oh no, she's got to run. I got to run because oh. I have to do a talk. Oh, right, of course. Right oh, now. Right. Um, but thank you so much for having me. And it, yeah, it's been a pleasure, and I'd love to be back. And I'm Darren. I am going to ask you later, like what <laughs> what it is that your uh, gut, uh, what kind of support it needs, because you actually evaded the question, which is fine. <laughs> I did because it's a big deal, and I, it's my first time here. And you know, first times are kind of like <laughs> a little nerve wracking. Uh, but I, we'll get there another time. Next week, maybe. Next week, maybe. <laughs> All right. Thank Thanks, you so guys. much. So I, I, I neglected uh, my responsibilities last week. Uh, I think it might have been nerves, but uh, we should have been mentioning that next week right. is actually the Sound of Your City fundraiser uh, for CIUT. So if you're listening on CIUT, you've probably – if you're a CIUT listener, you probably have heard this, but you have not heard it from me. So I remiss my duties. I apologize. Warning you to save uh, any change, large bills, whatever happens to be there to support independent media uh, without going into the diatribe. I'll save that diatribe. I tried for next week, but let's just say maybe increasingly necessary to have independent uh, sources for information, uh, more so than previously. So uh, please stay tuned. Starting, it starts on the 14th, our show for the CIUT um, uh, by, I, I believe it's twice a year, fundraiser. Yes. Uh, twice a year uh, fundraiser uh, will be next week, which is the 18th. Uh, so we'll be seeing you then. There'll be information on the website as well. You can also just go straight to ciut.fm slash, I believe it's usually just slash donate. Mm. Um, but there'll be information there too as well. Uh, if you're not on CIUT, if you're listening to us on one of our radio syndicates and you're interested in, in supporting uh, CIUT, you can also do that. Uh, but there's a very good chance that your local radio station will not be playing that show. <laughs> uh, so uh, if you are interested, you can go check out ciut.fm as well and help support that. Now, you can do it now. It's up. Yeah, Go for it. And say we're, we're, say we're your, your fair show. 
Yes, That'd be absolutely. There's a question that says, what is your favorite show? That's a sly way of saying, who should we allocate this to? <laughs> yes. So uh, you can go ahead and do that. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to be back with uh, a very fun interview with a poet that I was not expecting to have to bleep. Oh, really? But I did. Oh, wow. We'll see what that's like when we come back. But first, Alex, our tech, is going to tell us what we're going to listen to. Thanks. Um, I just wanted to say I'm really, uh, I really like what you guys, the way you guys structured the show this week and what you've chosen to talk about. And I have some music that will hopefully uh, fit in quite nicely. And uh, so the first song we're going to hear is uh, from Gord Downey's wonderful new album, The Secret Path. Uh, this is a song called The Stranger. Um, and I encourage everybody to, to go check that album out because it's really topical and really beautiful. All right, we are back. I'm Darren Kester, your host, listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, uh, either on CIUT or possibly on one of our radio partners, uh, international radio partners as well. You could be listening on Ravel.ca or uh, not this week. But some weeks you could be yes. listening on the uh, as a special show. We're gonna we're gonna detail that more in the future as well yeah. uh, with Theo. I know Stefan wants to jump in as well. I was just gonna say, uh, well done, Alex, on that music choice. That actually, you know, we didn't we didn't even, neither of us knew which one of us were gonna do, and it somehow worked perfectly. Sometimes there's serendipity in this. Yeah, world. if people knew how uncoordinated the show was and <laughs> relative to the half decent quality of the output, I yeah. think they'd be significantly more impressed. Yeah, we should just tell them more often. <laughs> do you know how unprepared I am for today's show, Stephen? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Uh, so what we're going to do now is uh, is uh, take the um, an- another sort of light section, if you will. We're talking, uh, well, rather I should be more specific. Our contributor, Christina, Christina Henke, uh, caught up with Murray Rice. He's originally from Sarnia, Ontario, and an award-winning Canadian poet who's living in Salt Spring Island, British Columbia, since the late 70s. His books include Distance from the Locust, uh, The Survival Rate of Butterflies in the Wild, and Cemetery Compost. His work has also been published in a number of Canadian and American literary magazines and anthologies. Reese is a climate action performance poet and a founding member of the Only Planet Cabaret, as well as an environmental writer. Green Majority contributor Kostina Hanka recently caught up with Mary Reese to learn more about his work. Sometimes it takes a poet to shake us out of our collective complacency and our resigned fatalism about the incredible harm we've inflicted on our earth. That poet would be Murray Reese. He's a climate action performance poet and a founding member of the Only Planet Cabaret. Reese lives on Salt Spring Island in British Columbia, but he was recently in Toronto for a poetry reading as part of the Hot Sauced Words Poetry Performance Series, in which Reese read from his latest book, Cemetery Compost. Afterwards, I had a chance to talk to Reese about his concern for the environment and his own particular brand of poetic activism. Oh, my name is Murray Reese. I was born in Sarnia, Ontario, the Chemical Valley. When I was growing up there, we didn't have a clue how polluting everything that our livelihoods ultimately depended on. We didn't know. And we just oil came through these pipelines, the refineries refined them, the gasoline went in our cars, and we we drove merrily on, and everybody made lots of money and drove cars really fast, and you didn't even know what gas cost, it was so cheap. And at the same time, we were just pumping all these greenhouse gas emissions into the air like crazy. And, you know, when I, I grew up in the 50s, so the fallout that, that we were concerned about was the fallout from the bomb and all the bomb tests. And 
the fallout that it turns out is probably going to get this long before the bomb, it looks like, is the fallout that came out of the tailpipes of all our cars. So what happened to you in terms of your awareness of that there was a problem with issues in the environment? I think one of the big catalysts was very, very close to home when a, uh, a development company bought 5,000 acres on the southern end of Salt Spring Island. And it was one of those things, again, that you just kind of take for granted until you don't. And this land had belonged to a German prince. And he was kind of a benevolent prince, and he never really did much with the land. He just did a little bit of selective logging, and it was great. It was kind of like protected. And then he died, and his land went to his wife, and she sold it. And all of a sudden, the community woke up to the fact that here was 5,000 acres in the rural end of the island that was going to be just like stripped and flipped, clear-cut and you know sold for development. So the whole community and people from outside the community was galvanized and organized and fought it in many, many, many ways for months and months and months. It became a national story, and we managed to save almost all of the land. A lot of it's now parkland, a lot of it's protected, but it it kind of showed me two things, I guess. One is how important the land is right around you and what you can achieve when an entire community comes together. So, yeah, give me a new sense of, of, of activism. So it seems to me that you have to care about it in a personal way, right? So the fact that you yourself live on Salt Spring Island was important because if you had tried to protest or take action regarding something at the other end of the country, um, you know, in the Maritimes, let's say, it wouldn't have been real for you or as real, it would have been more abstract. Do you think that might be the problem with what explains perhaps some apathy in, in a lot of people? I do. I mean, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that for the first time in history, uh, more people are living in cities than not. And this, this, it's a huge change. So people, there, there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect from, you know, when I go to a, a, a new city, the first thing I ask is, you know, when you turn on the light, where does the power come from? When you turn on the tap, where does the water come from? When you throw out your garbage, where does it go? I mean, these are the basic facts of our, our daily life. And yet, for most people now, they're abstractions. And so the natural world becomes an abstraction and there's a sense that we can you know do without it or do with it what we will and that if we mess up well we'll figure it out we'll come up with another technological solution and that doesn't seem to have got us very far and also that other people will fix the problem right the experts will yeah the experts will the the uh the scientists the tech mostly the engineers the technicians the technology because uh in our daily life the dominant force that has shaped our daily life is technology far more than our politics far more than our social relations it's the technology that determines how we live so we we tend to just kind of um assume that that's the level on which change will continue to happen. And, you know, look how much it's... I mean, you know, when I was growing up, it was better living through chemistry. Uh, there was the peaceful atom. Uh, electricity was going to be too cheap to meter. And even though we've seen all of these fantasies for what they are, we still tend to believe in the next big fix that's going to transform our lives. And in the meantime, technology... Uh, certainly fossil fuel technology, 
and the way that it's used under capitalism has transformed our lives and it's given us lives of plenty and some of us, those of us who can afford it, lives of comfort and convenience and it's trashed the planet. So you're very passionate about this. What do you do in order to communicate to your fellow citizens, your fellow human beings that you know they should take action, that they should do something, that there should be something done about this problem? Well, you know, it's, it's partly like what you were saying earlier about, you know, if you care about where you live and you start from where you are and where I am or what I am is, I'm a poet. The tools that I work best with are words. And so what I've done is a series of what I call climate action performance poems that I've performed in various settings, uh, at rallies, at um, poetry venues, concert venues, and as part of a uh, what we call the Only Planet Cabaret, which provides a framework for some of these poems as well, and put them on YouTube. And they're not far, far, far from answers, but they, they just kind of try to raise the question in a slightly, from a slightly different angle. And a lot of what they're about is uh, our complicity. So it's like one of, the, one of the poems is, you know, we always talk about, well, why can't we just, you know, go on this footing like World War II, you know, and we all worked together and we fought together against this common enemy, and why can't we do that now? And this poem is, says, well, you can't wage war without an enemy. And as it turns out in this case, the enemy is us. And so it's really trying to point out the dimensions of the dilemma rather than any easy way out, because I don't think there is an easy way out. And it also, it's like, a lot of the poems, they don't take the form, but they take the essence. It's like a Zen koan. It's, it's a riddle that you have to solve. Your life depends on solving it, and it's unsolvable. And one of the things art can do is bring you to that place where you realize that that's what you're up against. And knowing that you have to solve something and that it's unsolvable, in the Zen tradition, it creates a certain kind of friction or something in the mind that just creates a spark or gives you the push that lets you leap to that place where there is an answer, but it's not where you are now. It's somewhere else entirely. Uh, examples from the Zen tradition are how do you get the goose out of the bottle without hurting the goose or breaking the bottle? Well, you can't. Where do you climb to from the top of a 100-foot pole? And that's where we are. We're at the top of a 100-foot pole, and we have to keep climbing, and where are we going to go? So the poems just try to bring that to life from a variety of different perspectives. And sometimes I'll take the perspective of, you know, what you could call the villain necessarily, but some of these agents. So one poem is starts off, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Diluent the juice you've got to use to make Alberta's bitumen tar sands ooze. And then just goes on to really tell people what bitumen tar sands really are from the point of view of, you know, the chemicals that are used to dilute them. So it's just trying to kind of like invoke or create a place for creativity in an activist setting. And what do you hope it will be able to, to do for people? Well, hopefully to help people make that leap uh, and just partly to have, just have more fun with it all. So a lot of it is it's kind of like taking a more, I don't know, playful approach in a way. This is probably more true with our, 
with our cabaret than it is with just myself as a single performance poet, because with the cabaret, we bring in music, dance, uh, dialogue, as well as the poems, and, you know, a little bit of audience participation. So it's, it's a whole sensory, emotional experience. It's almost like, well, it is like what, what uh, they used to call in socialist, communist, activist circles, uh, raising the contradictions. So it's really, really sharpening the contradictions of our current condition. I wonder if you could uh, read a poem or perform a poem. I don't usually, I've just started doing it myself. It it's actually comes from uh, uh, the Only Planet Cabaret where the three uh, women performers do it because it's about Gaia, called Call Me Gaia, but I can, I can do it. Call Me Gaia, Terra, Mother, any name will do. Three billion years I've busted my maternal ass for you. Believe me, it's no picnic trying to fine-tune a climate for creatures as picky as you. You can't stand it too cold. You can't stand it too hot. Why'd you name this planet Earth? You should have called it Goldilocks. I spent a billion years nursing marine microorganisms to make a living, breathing, carbon-cycling, thermostatic dynamism to pump air you could breathe into the atmospheric system. Without that phytosynthesizing phytoplankton I strewed over every inch of ocean, you'd be totally screwed, and you dissolve their shells with your CO2? For billions of years, I've done nothing but toil to balance biosphere, atmosphere, ocean, soil, so your breath won't freeze and your brains won't boil, and you get it in your heads to go drilling for oil? I sequestered excess carbon in the bottom of my seas to scrunch the heat down into those few degrees of your tiny window of viability and added long-term temperature stability to shape this planet as the one and only place in all of space just right for your pampered human race. And for you, it's just a dump for petrochemical waste. Three billion years of patient symbiotic evolution and you blow it all to shit with your industrial revolution? Three billion years I labored to get it just right. And you destroy my hard-won balance overnight. Well, excuse my language, but I am pissed. In my whole long life, I've never been so dissed. For three billion years, I nurtured a dynamic equilibrium a worldwide web of teeming interwoven ecosystems, and you rip it to shreds with capitalism, fouling my water, exhausting my soil, devouring my minerals, timber, and ores with your drilling, blasting, fracking. Where's your sense of limitation? I'm too old. I can't keep up with your disruptive innovations or clean up the latest mess left from your reckless exploitation of every last nook and cranny of my once green creation, all in your worship of commodification? You've stuck me in a no-win situation. I'm depleted, fatigued, seething with frustration. The only cure I can see is complete abdication. You got it. That's right. I'm splitting this scene. You want to run it? Be my guest. Happy Anthropocene.
That was Murray Reese, reading from his poem, Call Me Gaia, which can be found in his newest book of poems called Cemetery Compost, published by Frontenac House. For more information about poet Murray Reese, please visit the Green Majority website. I'm Christina Henke in Toronto. And thank you very much again to our contributor, Christina Henke, for producing uh, yet another wonderful and fascinating uh, interview. Uh, always sends us really interesting stuff. Yeah, we got a, we got a little bit of we got a little of fire there after our after our general malaise. Yeah, we had to well we had to farm out the fire this week. <laughs> <laughs> not com- not often, but sometimes. No. Sometimes no. someone else has to eat the feisty weedies, I guess. Yeah, that's right. All right, so we're uh, we're gonna take we're we're leaning towards the end of the show uh, already here, but we're gonna take another quick break, and then we've just got a couple of news items. My hard fought minimally political news that I looked up. So we're going to do that as well. So a quick reminder, of course, as well as we mentioned before, we went to that interview that next week is the CIUT fall fundraiser. So get ready to call in, get ready to email, or you can go to CIUT.FM slash donate right now. I'm certain of it. I haven't been, but I guarantee you it's there. Uh, if, if it isn't, email us uh, the website, but I promise you it's there. Uh, also, thank you very much to all of our uh, syndicates and partners. And uh, you're welcome to that listener that likes to call in every once in a while and ask us to slow down. Yeah, we this finally is, did. This show is for you. <laughs> uh, we're going to go to music break. As I was just saying, Alex, will you please read us into our second and final music break? Most definitely. Thanks, Darren. Um, so this is one from the late, great Leonard Cohen. Uh, Canada's poet laureate and songwriter who died last night. Uh, this is a song called Everybody Knows. All right, we are back. We're in the home stretch, Stefan. Almost made it through this hour <laughs> and then the rest of the life after that. But anyway, uh, we'll get through the hour. So we have some now, uh, some hard fought. Uh, non minimally political environment news can we um we've got 10 minutes do you want to do well yeah okay why don't you do the 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 closest thing to political and then i have a purely tech story after that all right great uh so this is this is the 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 one there were there are a few nice stories that come out of the election uh i believe the the first somali american uh elected to congress happened in minnesota um and uh, and and Florida rejected a con- very confusing referendum uh, that uh, that was seemed designed uh, to expand solar power, but was actually des- was actually backed by utilities so they could put a levy on solar power. Uh, it seems as if what's funny about it is even when the article doesn't even attempt to explain why the confusing thing made sense, it just says it like the Salon article that that we'll link on the show really doesn't actually do a good any good job of explaining how it was worded. And what was actually going to happen? It just tells you that this was going to be the use of it, and it failed. Um, well, they they could be forgiven for assuming that voters were not paying terribly careful attention to details. Yeah, fair or so, anything. I um, think they might be more surprised than anyone else that yeah. that failed. Yeah, given yeah. given the other circumstances. Yeah, that's fair. Although perhaps everyone got confused and they thought it was pro, the people who thought it was pro thought it was con. People who thought it was con thought it was pro, and and this that is just a weird lucky of a draw. Yeah. Uh, so that happened. Uh, so you just that's the one piece of news. Uh, I, I have the, we can go to the second tech story that I have, but let's go to maybe you want to talk about. Yeah, let's alternate a little bit. Well, I wanted I sort of wanted to tie in. Two things here. And what I wanted to start with, though, was the uh, was there a quick story. So uh, one about uh, BP, which is, of course, the uh, the, the fossil fuel company uh, is investing 30 million dollars in Fulcrum Bioenergy Incorporated, uh, which makes a biofuel from garbage. Um, 
I'm not going to, we don't have time to get into the, um, the long list of specifics. And of course the technology is very, uh, I mean, it's even hard to define. What do you mean? You, you know, you need to be very specific. We're not talking about, I'm, I imagine, uh, we're not advanced technology enough to be talking about a back to the future style, you know, empty, you know, everything from banana peels to tin cans into the back of your DeLorean, uh, and then, you know, go 55 miles an hour or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> So there's a lot more to that story, but it was one of those things where it was like my immediate reaction. I think this is sort of one of those self checks that we as environmentalists, quote unquote, need to have, which is my immediate reaction was uh, BP, screw them. Yeah. Uh, but this is that's just my gut reaction, right? Mm -hmm. That was my immediate gut reaction. My head reaction says uh, I don't care who does it. These are the types of things we need to be investing in. BP has a lot of money. Maybe not for long, but for now they do. This might be one way to keep themselves aligned, uh, along. And I think with a clear head, then we have to at least say good for you. As long as it's not one of those things where they, you know, buy out the technology, all the rights to the technology and sit on it like Monsanto likes to do to prevent things from coming to market. Yes. Um, then, you know, good for them. Uh, for real. Not like a sarcastic right. good for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good. Somebody should do it. I hope, you know, my preference would be is that some startup beats them to it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, all else being equal, good news. Yes. Yes, exactly. This is what this is. This is, I think, that we're going for today is all else being equal. <laughs> Good news. Um, and so, yeah, to jump back, uh, other uh, other tech things. And I think this sort of speaks to a uh, a larger piece of of just sort of thinking of the future in a way that isn't overwhelmingly depressing. Uh, which is uh, this actually is a story from a couple. Yeah, it's from from October thirtieth first actually. So from Halloween, uh, and it's about the next thing Elon Musk does. Uh, and every time Elon Musk comes up, he's also got a he's got a great name for being a person who might be in like a like, <laughs> like kind of if you want to picture a futuristic world where there is like some weird you know some so like a person who's running like the company that is sort of like, like that everyone's now reliant on for some reason. Elon Musk is actually a solid name for that. Well, it, it, whenever I hear his name, I always think of the movie Anchorman because it reminds me of that line. It's, it sounds like sort of like Elon Musk. Fifty percent of the time, it works every time. <laughs> Fair. That's actually, that, that's actually not a bad argument. For for Elon Musk. Uh, so he <laughs> revealed uh, a solar roof made of glass tiles. And so this is one of those things where it's like, here's another way that we can, that solar energy can continue to prevail. Uh, and I think that's a part of, I think if we're going to be moving forward in a way that is, um, that is more uh, open uh, mm -hmm. and, 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 and a world, and if we're moving towards a world that is, that have the, to sort of end the show on some, some optimism, uh, despite the, the the general tone of the show, um, every time something else comes up around solar energy or some of these other things, it it does you know these things won't the people who are working on these things won't stop working on them right like maybe they'll have less money they'll, yes it'll be it'll be perhaps a more difficult difficult slog um, but there's there's still these sort of there's still there are still millions and millions and millions of people who are getting up every day and going outside and trying to make the world a better place um, and and if you know and yes we have now made it dramatically dramatically harder on ourselves and and on and on everyone and on many 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 people who who you know in no way deserved any more hardships uh let alone uh let alone to be sort of you know like you know, it's 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 a sad time yeah. um and uh the, you know uh, uh barbara as she left made sure that uh that 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 i that i at least get one more line from her uh so i think i'll end the show on her line uh which is about 3 minutes away uh but so to go back to this elon musk uh, reveals solar roof made of glass tiles uh it just goes along with this sort of 
larger goal that Elon Musk really has, which is that he, you know, if you li- read what he's talking about, he basically decided what are the things the future is going to need and then invested in every one of them. Mm. You know, electric cars, storage, renewable energy, and space travel. Uh, you know, if you look at his businesses, they're quite literally... Well, and not just space travel. The, like His specific intention is not to develop better technology than NASA. The whole point of his business is how do I make it as cheap and efficient as possible? Right. Right. How do we get how do we make this as affordable as possible, as quickly as possible, not necessarily, you know, uh, any scientific research goals, but commercial goals. And Mm -hmm. this this could actually I mean, we need a whole show to talk about the implications. But I mean, that's, you know, he has very specific targets and they're not necessarily designed because he thinks those are high profit areas tomorrow. Uh, He's a futurist. That's why I like the guy so much, even though, you know, there's not nobody's perfect. Yeah. Uh, But that's why I like him so much. He's like, there, here's some things we should have. I'm going to do everything I can to make that happen. And unlike me, he has an incredible ability to actually make that come true. Yeah. Um, So he's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things where it's like, I I keep, my brain keeps being like, I now need to remind the viewers that I don't think Elon Musk will save us all and that, and and that we act, you know, that we, the hard work of protecting our, uh, our, our our communities will not be done by Elon Musk. It will be done by us on a consistent basis. Mm. But at the same time, I'm just trying to be mildly happy. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to read a quote from Elon Musk about his roof, uh, and then I'll then I'll then I'll finish the show with uh, with a quote from from Barbara. She left the, the left the show today. Uh, his quote from the roof is, is like, "How do we have a solar roof that is like?" He, so he he went in to answer one question. Uh, he said, "How do we have a solar roof that is better than a normal roof? Looks better, lasts longer. Um, you want to put." One where you want to pull your neighbors over and say, check out this sweet roof. <laughs> which, which like now seems so, so minute uh, that you know, a week and a half ago people were like, man, that roof, sweet. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, you know, they're in a world that might have a nice roof. That's something. Which is also how you know he's a nerd and not a marketer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> check out this sweet roof. Um, and, and so to and sort of final final show, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you, Darren, to, to sort of read us out. Um, I'm going to leave us with this, this at least this one thought that Barbara left us at the, at the ways as as we're joking during the music break uh, about the different ways that we're coping. Um, she, she sort of pulled us aside and was like, "The one thing I tell everybody is that there's no wrong way to do self care." Uh, and and so take care of yourselves, everybody. If, mm-hmm. that is, if there's one thing about the show that we try to do is, is, you know, take care of yourselves and then take care of everyone else because uh, we're all going to need it. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to add too much to that other than to say thank you very much for listening. We do have a bonus show coming up. We're going to be talking about a couple of things, microbeads, and I might be playing a clip which will need some explanation from a trailer for a video game, but it yeah. is topical, uh, and we're going to talk about it. Other than that, folks, thank you again very much for listening. We'll be with you next week, we promise. Have a good green week. Take care. That was the regular show. We're going to be back in just a moment where a new volunteer who is yet to make an appearance on the main program, Tina, is going to join us for a short discussion of some microbead news. Uh, and then I uh, discuss a little bit more about my preferred method of self-care and my vision for the future of humanity. Nothing too big, just some small topics like that. If you support the show that we do and want us to hear more of us, you can become a member of the Green Majority at Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Green Majority and become a member with us. Thank you so much and enjoy the bonus show. All right, we're on the November 11th bonus show. I'm your host, Aaron Kaster, and we're going to talk about, uh, I believe, microbeads. That is true. I think it's a thing. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, Tina, uh, explain it. <laughs> what, also, we actually actually you haven't even formally announced. We just like I was going to throw to a person. We have no way given so, any context so my, for uh, two two or three weeks ago. I, I made a mystery alludement to someone possibly joining us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tina declined that week, but yeah. has accepted this week to join us in the boat of show. Yeah. Um, do you want to just maybe just say uh, something about yourself? Sure, yeah. All. First, you can introduce yourself a little bit, and then you're going to be uh, carrying the first part of the bonus show, and then I have a possible clip of a video game, which I will clarify why I'm playing it after that, uh, when we're done that. Serious topic. Okay. Um, so my name is Tina. I'm uh, actually doing a fellowship in journalism at U of T, but my background is in biology and environmental science. And this is why I'm super excited to talk about microbeads, which are definitely a thing. Um, so they're these tiny little plastic circles that are less than five millimeters in size, and they're added to your shampoos, your toothpastes, your face scrubs. I'm talking to a room full of guys, so I don't know. I don't know how much of these you guys use, but um, most of them. Yeah, I, I would hope. Um, but basically, what's happened is the environmental community has realized that these are huge, huge problem. They're adding to plastics pollution in the Great Lakes and our oceans and our seas. And so it's been a big discussion worldwide. And Canada kind of followed suit after the U.S. They labeled them toxic in June, um, which is great, but it didn't really mean much. And just last Friday, they were actually they put out a proposed regulation to ban them. Um, there's still some time until this comes into effect. So in 2018, in July, they're going to ban them from all your toiletries. And then a year later, they're going to ban them from natural health products and from non-prescription drugs. Um, I'm not sure exactly how they're in the non-prescription drugs. Yeah, I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, the exfoliators are a bit uh, more clear to me. These ones are a bit confusing. I guess you are somehow swallowing microbeads, which can't be great yeah that sounds like well it's uh it's 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 loosening the pores on the inner lining of your (laughs) stomach and lungs that sounds delicious um so this is great news and i think it's it's great news after a particularly uh low week for everyone um what's cool is that uh there are a lot of alternatives that you can use so i think people love the idea of exfoliating you can use salt you can use sugar you can use coffee grinds you can use uh crushed up a walnut seeds like i think that's awesome and those things are all uh biodegradable um and so it's kind of a great step for people to get innovative with this stuff and i think it puts canada on the world map of this like the eu has not banned them but they basically have a voluntary phase out and the u.s banned them earlier in 2015 so we're kind of following suit um i don't know do you guys know if you use anything with microbeads in it i know i have in the past uh, I don't know if I currently have anything that does that, but like it's 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 fascinating that I feel like part of the goal of microbeads was to make you was to sort of like make your make the soap feel rougher, so it felt like it was doing more. Yeah, like I feel like that was a part. Like it, I feel like a part of it wasn't even that it actually would do more, but it would feel like it was doing more. Yeah, I mean, I think it did exfoliate a bit. I don't know how much exfoliating people really need. Yeah, what's what, like I'm especially you know like f- f- like a thousand years ago, someone being like, oh, "You're just not exfoliated enough. You're this is gonna go. It's all over for you." Well, it's an interesting thing, and it's an interesting like consumer idea because they've convinced us that we need these things that are made of plastic and we definitely do not need them but it's also a great story in consumer power because people find out about these things and all of a sudden they were like what i don't want to use things with plastics in them and so there was actually a voluntary phase out slowly in canada as well because people were not buying these things and i think What's great is that a lot of NGOs made it clear to people how they were using them. So anything that sort of started with 
poly something mm. in the ingredients. You would know it had microbeads, so it could be like polyethylene, polypropylene, uh, nylon. Okay, that doesn't start with poly, but <laughs> can't be good. Um, so yeah, I think it was it was a neat human experience. The microbead. Yes, uh, and to be fair, it's it, again there's a there's such a rare it's such a rarity to have a have a win. Um, I feel like. Uh, and especially a win of this nature, because I, I often I think our wins are are the opposite, and that we're trying to get something new done that can then be undone. Whereas this sort of seems like it's it's when when we remove something from the ecosystem, it's much it, it's usually stays it's it's easier to keep it removed than I think when you add something uh, to the keep it existing to some extent. I almost feel like it's 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 this one feels more permanent, I guess, than you know than even some of the other victories we've had in the last little while. Totally, and I think it's a good kind of example of precautionary principle. Like they know these things are bad. They know that fish are eating them, that they're dying, that they could potentially get into the human food chain, and so they're just taking this precautionary approach, which is kind of rare to do, I think, in policies around the environment. Um, it doesn't mean that it's done because there are still microplastic that, microplastics that come from tons of other things, like plastic bags that break down, or um, there's even like microfibers. So the, your synthetic clothing, every time you do the wash, there's a few microfibers that come out of there. And actually, industry is still allowed to use um, micro beads. So I don't know too too much about this, but I know that um, like say things like paint or something, or when you're stripping a car of paint, you might use microbeads and those things. Um, so I think that'll probably be the next step once people learn more about that. Mm. For me, it's always when when this sort of topic comes up, it's 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 hard to sort of sit with the victory too much. And I, I realize that's sort of the theme of the show is is sort of, you know, it's either, you know, oh crap or hooray but. You know, that's sort of what Stefan and I were talking about last week. It was about how every environment story has a qualifier on the end of it. <laughs> um, but it's it's just like, I, I understand why it's not easy, um, but I, I don't understand why no one seems to be trying, like how many of these types of things do we need to do before we learn that a, you know, prove it safe for commercial products, uh, for any type of, you know, industrial or commercial product, any type of product, uh, should be the attitude. And <clears throat> the response people will give is like, well, you're going to stifle innovation. You're going to stifle this and uh, blah, blah, blah. No, because if you, if you just passed like, you know, like laws saying like, great, okay, we're going to, we're not going to grandfather in old technologies, but we're not going to permit new technologies that don't adhere to these things. And so then innovation will strive that way, right? So, I mean, we've got some issues now because of the aforementioned uh, political issues about, you know, some of the renewable energy stocks went down. But it's like if you just mandate like no new power can be built unless it's renewable or, you know, it has to be old technology and here's the penalty, right? So it's like so it allows for necessary building, but no, nothing beyond that. And it, and it funnels all innovation into this, into this pipeline where we don't have these problems. And it might be health products. It might be energy. It might be all these other things. And so it just it's, – it's one of those things where people are like, oh, you're not being realistic and be like, I think – going around just throwing things around into the environment is unrealistic I, I feel like we're at a bit of an impasse with that with that argument is it even conceivable in your opinion i understand i'm, I'm not asking a, a policy expert I'm just you know you're on the show we're going to get to know you a little bit how do you feel about the possibility of is it even conceivable at any point that that type of wide sweeping policy where we just where people have to prove something safe before they get to put it in the marketplace is that do you think that will ever happen well, I don't, I'm definitely not a policy expert, and I think that 
is super idealistic. Um, maybe one day, but I think we're humans. We make mistakes and maybe we'll just get better at catching those mistakes before they make such a huge impact on the environment. Um, but speaking of innovation, I don't think that having these bounds on anything will really stifle innovation. We're also humans in that way where we're always thinking and creating. And so I think it is a positive. I think I think setting limits on certain things makes maybe people go in, an, in a different direction with innovation. So I don't know. I'm feeling positive today. Yeah. All right. I won't, I won't quash it. Uh, Alex, go ahead. I think if there's uh, prohibitions on like – or like you can't bring in a new drug to market without having uh, ample – FDA approval testing uh, pro- process. I, I think there's no reason why new products, especially like personal health products, shouldn't go through the same like rigorous testing, especially if like with microbeads as a precedent where it's like this caused significant environmental damage in a very short period of time. Like let's let's check out what other chemicals are going in these things before we release them. And I think there will be more of that. And especially like going back to consumer power, I think as people learn more about this and become more aware of what they're buying, I think they're going to encourage that kind of thinking from industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I, I um, yeah, and, and I agree. And I think, I think people are generally getting better. It's sort of one of those things about like, just like, you know, how many times do you have to learn that lesson before you just take that proactive step and say, okay, how about we just stop, you know, figuring this out after the fact? and take a proactive step that maybe we should do. And it doesn't have to be like, I understand like if every innovation had to be put through 10 years of testing, even a minor update, then sure. Yeah. Now you've shut down Now you really have shut down innovation. Um, but like, okay, you've developed a new class of chemicals. Then yes, it has to go through an FDA type approval. We're going to start adding something, adding a, a non, uh, for health and skincare products, I think there's a really easy way to set a precedent where it's like if it's an if it's a thing that's being rubbed into your skin and it's a non-natural item. So if you're going to put canola oil in something, fine, whatever. But if you're going to put dye, you know, dioxin nylethylene in something, and this is this new chemical, you know, we just made up, then sorry, you've got to run that through three years of testing before that gets to be brought to market. And is that going to you know, stifle some innovation. Well, of course it is. But do we want, is that type of innovation worth the risk is, is sort of where my questioning is coming from. And how much do we lose as a society by not having a slightly more efficient moisturizer? Uh, I don't, I think when the, when those, when those costs are put up against those, and I'm saying that non, non sarcastically, I'm a consumer of moisturizer, right? I'm not even being like silly or, or off That's the cuff awesome. there. Um, I'm a consumer of all sorts of things you don't know about. You'll, you'll get to know me <laughs> later. Um, but you know, but it's like, that's sort of the thing. Like, I'm just sort of like, how many times do we have as a society have to learn this lesson before we decide that it's okay to say that some kinds of innovation should be slowed down because the risks are just so great. And I think as, as career environmentalists, sometimes that's where that weariness comes from. That's where that frustration comes from because it's like, we've seen this movie before. Right. And so, yes, I think, I think you're not wrong. And I, I have no intention of sort of quashing your, mm-hmm. your, your uh, approval and your happiness about this. And you're right to be happy. I just, I, I hope that this is the time we learn that lesson. Uh, I, I, I think you may have accidentally stumbled on, on, on a, on a theme for the entire show there. Uh, <laughs> What's that, that sometimes it's just important to slow down. Yeah. You know, whether yeah. it's innovation uh, <laughs> or the speed of which we speak, um, sometimes slowing down is, you know, what actually is necessary. All right. Do we, uh, do we have anyone else want to say anything about that? I'll, I'll introduce my, uh, my brief other topic. If not, no, I think we're good. 
Cool. Uh, so my brief other topic was um, I'm going to play a short clip from something. I just played it for Stefan during the break, and it was it, it is a trailer to advertise for a video game. Uh, I did not get permission from Sony to play this, but seeing as I'm playing an ad for their product, I'm pretty sure they won't sue us. Um, and I'm saying, so this is a game called uh, Mass Effect, and the reason I'm playing it is because, you know, we get... I, I've been asked both in person and by email sort of repeatedly be like, you know, you guys are always talking about things you don't want. And, you know, we do, uh, I'd say we do, but we get, a, we get accused of not, but I don't think that's a fair criticism. I think we do talk about things we do want all the time, but it's sort of like, you know, a lot of the time environmentalism can seem like a whole bunch of saying no to stuff. Uh, and I think overall that's not entirely unfair criticism. I think it's, it, it's not completely accurate, but I, I see why people might feel that way. Uh, but for me, it's, you know, there's sort of two ways that that goes. And one of them is sort of the, we need to leave the, is sort of the downscale. Like we need to, you know, technology isn't the solution to everything. We should sort of try and wean or not get rid of technology. Although there are definitely are some of those, I'm sure I could find two of those people within a hundred miles of where I'm standing right now or sitting right now. Uh, but largely that's not what people are up, but there is, there is sort of a segment of society that thinks the solution to these problems is to sort of take a step back slow down a little bit not be so constantly coming up with the next you know more more efficient toaster isn't what we need what we need is community and all that stuff uh, i'm not i'm not one of those people i'm a technophile i think technology is amazing that's why i'm such a big fan of elon musk i love all that stuff and i know that some of our listeners think that the, the attitude that i'm espousing right now is part of the problem i respectfully disagree we're allowed to have that disagreement but it's not just because i think this stuff's cool and it's not because i think technology will save us it's because uh, i have a vision of where tech where where humanity could go if we can just as i was saying earlier in the show just get through this one little dangerous hump where we're just smart enough to to build things that were just too stupid to use res- respectfully and safely uh and we're in this really dangerous window where if we can just make it through this where our our it's not even so much about getting better technology but where our maturity as a society can catch up to that this cresting wave of technology that there's some really cool stuff on the horizon so when i i, I wasn't watching this because i was sad but i was trying to maybe you could say i was trying to avoid doing work and so i was flipping through my email and i saw an ad for for the new ver- the next iteration of this game series that i that i particularly enjoy that's a that's a uh, sci-fi and it was basically they're, they're, the way they played it was that they're just inviting you to join them so it's all done in context so it's not like look at all the shooting it's speaking to you as if you're a participant in the game uh and I got, I started crying, not because it made me sad, but because like, this is what I want. So I just wanted to play this is because like, this is, this is the sort of thing that I want out of why all this work is because I want humanity to get here. So I'm just going to play this. There's not going to be a lot to say about it. I just thought it felt like sharing this week and it's an, a non-political thing that I could share. Uh, and then if anyone has a comment, they can comment and otherwise we'll just, we'll just sit with me playing a video game uh, clip as the end of the show. So hang on one second. Congratulations on your successful acceptance into the Andromeda Initiative. My name is Jean Garson, the founder of this unprecedented mission. This journey is a major milestone for all of humanity, as well as every other species in the Milky Way galaxy. You are about to embark on a voyage unlike anything attempted before. And make no mistake, this is a one-way trip. 600 years from now, you will awake from cryostasis on the outskirts of the Andromeda Galaxy. Most of you will be aboard Archiperion, while the rest will travel on the Nexus with me. In addition to Hyperion, three other arcs, each harboring a separate species, will depart the Milky Way at the same time. Each arc will be assigned its own Pathfinder, a blend of elite soldier, scientist, and guide who will be tasked with finding a new home. 
on one of the golden worlds that our long-range sensors have identified within Andromeda's Helios Cluster. Over the coming months, you will be briefed on a selection of classified information, all of which will be critical to your success. ARCs and Nexus overviews, ground and space vehicle certification, outpost establishment guidelines, first contact protocols should we encounter new sapient life forms. In addition, those accepted onto the Pathfinder team will also receive weapons, biotics, and survival training for even the harshest environments. You represent some of the best humanity has to offer, and I again salute your bravery in accepting this mission. There are no guarantees, no certainties, but if successful, we have a chance to do the impossible and create a new future for all humanity. Begin your journey. All right, so there we are. And so that's, I mean, there's sort of two feelings about that, uh, aside from the fact that I'm absolutely buying that game, uh, which is that uh, one of them is sort of like my immediate reaction when I saw this, that was like, uh, that was, that would have been Thursday afternoon. And my immediate reaction was, sign me up, get me the hell out of here. That was sort of my panic reaction. But my, but the, that's not the reason I played it. The reason, the reason I played it now was also was that like, that sort of science fiction and that sort of daydreaming, if you will, and that sort of escapism is also like, where we could go like there's nothing about any of that stuff that we can't do that that is in humanity's future to be among the stars and to be you know a, a space-faring civilization uh if we want it to be and i desperately do uh i'm just concerned we won't get there um but that's that's what i look forward to i think we have this amazing the future that will that will dwarf any accomplishment that we could possibly achieve now if we can just hold out a little longer and get there um and so when I see these grief, it's not just the grief for today or for any of my own personal things. It's the grief for maybe missing out on that future for humanity. So that's where, that's where that comes from. Uh, I'm going to stop talking now because I'm getting emotional again. Uh, would anyone else like to say something? Please, somebody say something, and then we'll, we'll close out. As Barbara told me to tell you before, there's no wrong way to do self-care. <laughs> Thank you very much. Can I get a, a, any comment from that, Alex? Um, take care of yourselves, everybody. <laughs> escapism is okay. Do we have an approval for escapism, at least? Definitely. <laughs> Not all the time, but sometimes. All right. So today, uh, as Stefan was saying, that's what I'm going to be doing later. Unfortunately, that game doesn't come out yet, so I won't be able to play that for a little while. But I'm going to be daydreaming that I'm on the, on that ship later today. And as Stefan was closing out, I will reiterate, uh, again, Barbara's advice uh, that self-care can take any form you wish. You know, don't get lost there. But stay, spend as long as you need, and we'll be here when you get back. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. Have a good week.